Hello and welcome back to Generation Collaboration. I'm Sanakshi. And I'm Brayden. Today's conversation is about access to higher education, where we're going to discuss challenges youth face in education during college and beyond. Today we'll be talking to Mia Payne and Xavier Ada, who are students at the University of Denver in the Leadership Program. We are also very happy to welcome Dr. Janice Mackey, who is the co-founder and executive director of YASPA, or Young Aspiring Americans for Social and Political Activism, a nonprofit she started when she was 25. She identifies as a black race scholar activist, and she's also a mother of four and married to her high school sweetheart. Before we jump in, if you haven't already, subscribe to our podcast and follow us on social media at CO Young Leaders. We hope you enjoy this episode of Generation Collaboration. Hey everyone, it's so great to have you all on the podcast. In today's episode, we have a special guest host to discuss this topic with us, Generation Collaborations Marketing Coordinator, Haley Moraz. Haley, could you tell us a little bit about why higher education is important to you? I'm really interested in higher education because I recently graduated from high school and will be attending CU Boulder in the fall. I had a college counselor. She was um, a Latina Um, And she went to Harvard, and that was really influential for me because she was a Latinx person, and she was guiding me through the college application process, and that was very influential for my experience. But going through the college process as a Latina and researching public universities, I quickly noticed the lack of Latino and Black representation at these huge universities. Thank you for that, Haley, and we're really excited to have you today. Uh, To start off, Xavier and Mia, uh, could you tell us a little bit about your experience in higher education? I mean, where do we start? There's so much to cover. Um, What do you like? What do you want us to start with? Just like background of anything. Just a little bit about yourselves and maybe a little bit about your college experience at DU. Okay, yeah. So, um, hi, I'm Xavier. I'm uh, going into my third year at the University of Denver. I'm double majoring in sociolegal studies and criminology with minors in leadership. Um, I identify as half Latino and half Pacific Islander. Um, and I come from Pueblo, Colorado, which is two hours south of Denver. Um, yeah, that's just a little bit about, my, about me for right now. Hi, I'm Mia. I'm going into my third year as well at the University of Denver as a poli-sci student, and I'm graduating next year, so super exciting. I'm also an RA at the University of Denver, and I'll be going into my second year of that. I'm from Aurora, Colorado, which is about 30 minutes from the university, and I identify as a Black woman. Cool. And Dr. Janice Mackey, uh, can you share a little bit about your story and your leadership journey so far? Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks to y'all for having me. I will definitely be brief here. I'm also from Aurora, Colorado. Shout out Aurora. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Facts. Um, So yeah, that's where I'm raising my kids. I graduated from Overland High School. um, And when I went to college, I didn't know what a major was. So I thought I was going to be a lawyer and just stumbled into actually um, what y'all are up to, right, which is political science and criminology. And I minored in Spanish. Um, As far as my journey... Um, 
I did go through and get a PhD, which I can talk a little bit more about later. Um, but there definitely has been many challenges that I faced um, because I'm not quite first gen. My grandparents on my mom's side actually went to University of Denver when the women's college was in Park Hill. And my grandfather um, was an MSW, Master of Social Work, um, at University of Denver. But my parents went to trade school, which is dope too, right? But there was still this generational gap of knowledge with regards to like access and how to get there. The last thing I'll say is in coming from Overland High School at the time, um, I was invisibilized in many ways because I was a 2.8 kid, 19 ACT. Um, so I wasn't cutting up, but I wasn't deemed gifted. <laughs> and so my counselor was like, if you want help with college, the filing cabinet's in the corner over there. And the gaps persist. <laughs> when you say the gaps persist, um, do you want to talk a little bit more into that with your experiences? So when I say the gaps persist, right, um, as someone who came from Aurora, Colorado, went to University of Denver, which is a predominantly white institution, and then even transitioned to University of Colorado Denver for my master's, and then back to DU actually for my PhD. It wasn't until, oh my goodness, I believe I, it wasn't until my doctoral studies actually that I had my first black professor, which is ridiculous, right? Um, and it's not necessarily because we aren't gifted, right, or brilliant, um, or because we can't. Right. It's because of issues of access. Right. And honoring what I call black finesse. And so we've even seen, for instance, at the University of Denver, where recently this past spring, um, there's black faculty who have left and they were on the tenure track. Right. And they left um, positions that you could see as pretty cush, if you will. Right. Because um, it's gold, so to speak. Um, to get on the tenure track, which means that you can um, potentially have that security, if you will, um, when you're a professor in higher ed. But they said, no, thank you, <laughs> right? So it's not simply about um, us even being able to be represented in faculty and become faculty, right? Um, but to support us and ensure the ethos and the culture and the climate is humanizing for us to be who we want to be and need to be in that space and honoring our labor as well. Mia, would you like to speak to um, those experiences since you are at DU right now um, and with the professors leaving? Would you like to speak to that? Yes, I would. So when I first applied to DU, something that struck me and why I applied in the first place is that DU marketed themselves as a private university for public good and a very diverse university for a PWI. So when I applied, I was like, wow, I'm going to get to meet all these diverse students. And coming from Vista Peak Preparatory High School, which is in Aurora, where I came from, it was very diverse. We had people from all across the margins and marginalized groups were there. So I was like, oh, it's going to be a similar experience. But when I got to DU, I realized that I was the diversity that they were promoting and I was going to be the only person to fill that role. And as an RA, I feel like that has evolved into me not only having my own personal experience of being the only Black girl in most of my classes, but seeing my only Black resident in my entire resident hall of a thousand or plus residents and seeing that I need to reach out to them so that they feel like they're welcome when there's basically only 15 minorities in an entire residence hall building. That's interesting for people to hear how colleges market diversity. And then when people come to that college, it's, oh, I am that diversity. I am being marketed. Um, Xavier, do you have any experiences you'd like to share on that? 
I could write a whole book with the amount of things I have to say. Um, but yeah, so when I was younger, I used to live overseas on an island called Saipan. It's part of the United States territories. And growing up, I didn't have a lot of access to um, quite the stuff that you need for an education. Um, I lived there from about my elementary schools all the way through my sixth grade. And I moved back to Pueblo, Colorado, which is where my mom's family is from. Um, I went to um, a school in Pueblo, a lower-income community. Um, and when I tell people I'm from Colorado at the University of Denver, they're kind of like, oh, like, he's from the hood. But, I mean, in all reality, you know, I've never faced any troubles living in Pueblo. Um, but anyways, um, I digress back to my main point. Um, in Pueblo, I was a year behind right when I got back to the U.S. on the mainland, and I had to catch up um, academically. Graduated from Pueblo, and I ended up moving back. I ended up choosing the University of Denver for a lot of different reasons. One of them being just based on my application alone, I ended up getting a lot of scholarship money, and that was more the financially responsible choice, just going there. In addition to that, my SAT and ACT scores were pretty low. <laughs> I mean, as much as I wanted to study and do all that, SAT tutors were too much for me to afford in, in high school, so... Um, there's $2,000 just for an SAT session, like, man, that's crazy. Um, and so DU was actually the only school that in Colorado that had SAT, ACT optional. And I just ended up omitting my SAT scores. And, you know, that was kind of the end of that situation and ended up choosing DU. And then we get to DU. And that's the interesting part, right, Mia? <laughs> yes, it is. Um, so me and Mia both met each other in the leadership program um, our first year. Um, just trying to get involved. You know, I've done a lot of different things. I was a tour guide. And I guess talking about that, um, I remember taking my first tour of DU. And I, like Mia said, they they marketed themselves as like a, a inclusive school. Inclusive excellence is their whole motto and brand. But, I mean, really, you are the diversity. And, I, I mean, as a tour guide, they put me on a lot of tours because, well, I'm a brown kid. And so I'm going to be able to talk about diversity a lot more than a white affluent student is. And I ended up leaving that job just because I was tired of lying to people. I was tired of telling them, like, this is a really good school. You're going to fit in here just fine. When in reality, I struggled for, like, months on end trying to get through school. It was not a fun time. And, uh, yeah, I guess I'll just leave it there because I could just go into a lot more. But, yeah. I know that DU, like you guys said, like they try to, you know, profit off of people of color. If you guys got the opportunity to speak to a DU student that was of color, explained their experiences, do you think that you would have still um, attended Denver University? Well, the issue is the students they connect you with work for admissions. So the students you're going to talk to are going to say, this is an inclusive school because they don't want to lose their job. Um, I think if I got the chance to talk to somebody who was just an average Joe by um, just kind of the means of they're not, they're just at DU and going to school there, I think that would have given me a more candid perception of what the campus life was like. Maybe I would have rethought choices. Um but at the end of the day, I think the pros outweigh the cons at DU. I think it's really a battle you fight internally for the first two years, um, and you kind of go from there. Um, but, yeah. Yeah. Um, jumping off of that, I would really have appreciated a person of color telling me candidly what DU was like before I got there. But in reality, based on my situation, um, college is very expensive. And although my parents make money, they don't make 
pay for your college money. So even if I knew what DU was like going in, that's just the reality of being a minority in this world. You're going to have to go to a predominantly white space and you're going to have to exist and you're going to have to do what you need to get done there. And at that point, DU was offering me financial aid and I probably still would have gone because that's what you have to do to get the degree you want. Um, jumping off of what Mia said, I remember walking around that campus. My dad said, you're going to have to face this someday. Like, if you are if you want to be a young professional, you're going to have to face this challenge someday. So it's better to kind of acclimate it to while you're still young and able to have an open mind and go from there. Uh, but, yeah. Rewinding back to your senior year of high school, um, you know, coming from diverse backgrounds, what advice would you give to like minorities and people of color when going through this entire college application process? Yeah, it's a heavy one. I can speak on that. Coming from a very diverse school, my school was basically majority um, brown and black. And going to a university, I would just say, Manage your expectations. And I know that's not the advice that everyone wants to hear that like, oh, it's gonna be great. You know, it's gonna be so easy to acclimate to being around a bunch of like, let's be honest, white people. But at the end of the day, that's what the world is. It's majority white people. So I would say find your community. When you get to university, something that has held me down is the community of um, black and brown students at DU. If you just find your community, latch on, struggle together, it really fortifies you and helps you get through this tough time. Thank you, Mia. Dr. Mackey, would you like to speak on your experiences with that? Ooh, I'm just sitting over here like, mm, mm, mm. that really resonates. I really appreciate you putting that in the space as far as finding your people. Um, I didn't learn this until much later on in life, but through my dissertation, I was studying black students at the undergraduate level who were studying political science and what that was like for them. And I learned from one of my participants, essentially, like, I don't have to perform for you. So when I was an undergrad, I was a very performative student because I thought I had to perform to be deemed as good, right, or be deemed as worthy of being in the space. And it wore me out. I was exhausted. Um, And I still supposedly wasn't deemed worthy, right, by certain folks, right, particularly white professors, So I really had to, like, go to my soul and say, you know what, I deserve to preserve myself and my energy and my emotional labor, right? Um, And again, back to that participant, um, long story short, I had asked, will you please draw what it was like navigating race in your childhood? And then asked, will you please draw um, what it's like to navigate race in political science for you? And her pictures were basically the same. And she was very grounded and she wasn't performing. She wasn't raising her hand. She wasn't talking and, you know, talking about race quite a bit um, to try and push on what the professors or her peers were saying. And I learned so much from that because I have definitely, in my undergraduate years and even when I was in my master's program, um, I was engaging in a lot of emotional labor, trying to protect my fellow black students and brown students and peers and um, even sometimes black and brown professors in my doctoral studies. Um, But it was at my own expense, right? And so um, definitely like preserve yourself, claim your space on your own terms is what I tell young people. Definitely know that you don't have to necessarily civically engage on campus, so to speak, right? Like you're a student just like everybody else. (laughs) 
<laughs> right? And quite frankly, you're not being paid to be a professor, right, um, to take on certain types of labor as a student. And so that's what I always tell our Black, Brown, Indigenous students of color who are considering navigating higher ed spaces. That's awesome. Thank you. I think that really that really resonates with me because, like, as a gay kid, I feel like I have certain stigmas that I need to combat in my schools. I mean, I'm in private Christian school. I'm applying for military college. So I feel like there's stigmas that I need to combat. And it's where do I draw the line at fighting those stigmas and being like, I am my own individual person. I am not the representation of the entire gay community. And thank you for speaking to that because I think that's really important for people to hear that you have to take your own mental health into account. Xavier, do you have anything you'd like to add? Just jumping off that, I would just say you, you have to find ways to find your peace. There's so many, I've wasted so much energy and so much time just being so infuriated. I was so mad for so long. Like it was just, it was a waste of time. And I look back on it and it just kind of like destroyed what could have been, I could have made it a good experience. But when you're in the fire, it's hard not to be mad. Um and through practice, I've kind of had to learn how to find my peace and ways to look at the good and the bad and kind of think of the end goal rather than what I'm in now. Um, and I think that's something, I know it sounds kind of like cliche, but that's something that a lot of people overlook. Um, and it actually is really helpful when you're, when you're in that situation. But yeah. It's all about mindset. You know, going through a hard time, it's difficult and sometimes it's easy to get caught up on the present. But when you're looking to the future and you're like, how can I learn and grow from this? And how can I enjoy the experience I have now, even though it may be hard, how can I enjoy it? And I think it, it, a mindset plays a huge role into that. Well, and like you said, it's like you're constantly in that <laughs> like stage of like, I'm supposed to educate other people. And I mean, just like a quick story, me and Mia are actually in the same, um, we were in the same leadership class last quarter. And the, what, was the, what was the class called? It was... Uh, it was global positions. It was like about cross-cultural communication taught by white people. So people. I, there was, that class was something else. I've walked out of that class so infuriated. There was one day we actually walked out. She like walked out five minutes before me and I ended up following her. This The presentation was on... Like, I don't even know what was on. Like, I, I, I blacked out. But the example was, like, you, um, somebody asks you to come to um, a festivity and they ask you to bring a plate. And you bring a singular plate. And then they were kind of talking about how, like, the cross-cultural communication is, like, you misunderstood. And what they meant was for you to bring, like, actual food instead of a singular plate. I was like, is this really what we're spending thousands of dollars on learning right now? Like, are you kidding me? Like, this is a class, like, that is just basically teaching white people how to be competent. Like, I just, I don't see the, like, the connection here. And at the end of the quarter, the professor had asked us, well, how did you guys, like, think the course went? And I ended up raising my hand, and I was like, do you want me to be honest? And he was like, yeah, well, I mean, that's what this is for. And I was like, well, this class sucked. <laughs> like, quite honestly, this class was one of the biggest wastes of my time. And that kind of just opened a bunch of doors to institutions and the five people of color that were in that class and ended up jumping in on that conversation, too. Um, but yeah. I know you guys spoke a little bit about 
your experiences in like classes and like them being predominantly white and um, the teachers that I currently have in high school are pretty much all white and there's not much diversity there and I don't see teachers like myself like literally ever and I don't know if that's ever even going to happen but I feel like being a minority we face many challenges you know going through education from high school you know to college and even beyond that. Um, so what challenges do you believe that minorities face and, you know, through maybe your leadership program, how do you think we can combat those challenges and take further action? One of the challenges I had to overcome in university is losing this need to prove myself to my white peers and my white teachers and my white university. Um, when I was little and I was growing up, my identifier was like the little black smart girl, um, which may not be familiar to you, but in the black community, it's once you prove that you're a little bit academically inclined, everyone labels you as a smart black girl who's going to change the world and do everything. And when I got to university and I got to a fully white space, I already felt out of place because I'm the only black girl in my entire my, like in my entire cohort. And getting to class and having my white peers look at me like, why are you here? You must be here because I needed a black girl to be here. And trying to do cartwheels and backflips to prove that I was worthy of being in the same room as them, to learn the same things as them, was exhausting, honestly. And just this year, I realized I can't be at university to prove myself and to prove why the university chose me to give me money and to help me study and further my career. I had to learn that I was at university to grow myself and I wasn't there to show that black girls are smart too, that black girls can be in higher education, that we can pursue higher things. That wasn't my job and I'm not the spearhead of the movement. I'm just a student. Dr. Mackey, Going through uh, many levels of higher education from undergrad to graduate school and to receiving your PhD, can you share more about that journey? How did you push yourself to want that much higher education? So I first want to honor the elders in my family and the ancestors, for sure. Um, and Mia, like you were speaking to, right, like I definitely same labeled kind of the gifted, smart black girl, like at a young age, right? And so my family definitely, in thinking I was going to be a lawyer, like the next Johnny Cochran, right, was like, oh, yeah, she's going to change the family. She's going to change the community, right? And like all of these added layers, right? Like in your words, spearheading a movement, right? But I want to honor that, like my elders did support me, right? And my family did support me, um, even though they didn't necessarily know about that level of education necessarily, right? Like the support was there. And I want to name that because oftentimes um, when like folks like myself, Black women get to that level of education, there's an assumption that where we come from, we didn't have support, right? And I did. Like my family's a rock. Like my grandmother, um, she's like, has this really deep wisdom and ethos about her that I continuously learn from all day, every day, right? And like my mom is an elder in our church and like taught children's church. And my dad um, worked at Lookout Mountain, which is a place where young men have unfortunately become systematically engaged, juvenile justice, so to speak, justice in quotes. Um, and so I learned a lot from him as well, right? To be able to even do what I do. Right. And so I just want to name that, honor that. Um, and then also as far as the next component around 
what kind of pushed me, so to speak. Honestly, I, um, I didn't become a lawyer. I'll first say that. I ended up pregnant with my first child my junior year. Um, this is at DU, by the way, and folks were encouraging me to drop out, right? They're like, oh, you're going to have a baby. Like, you should drop out, and then you can come back. For what? My daddy was like, um, it's just a baby. People have been having babies forever. You're going to be fine. Graduated early, right? Just to, like, tell people, like, mm, no thanks, right? Like, I'm going to go ahead and do this. Um, we'll be just fine, right? Ended up in education, fell in love with, like, working with young people on the front end and was like, being a lawyer will be a little bit too late <laughs> for what I want to do. Um, but unfortunately, what I was seeing was the same cycle, right, with regards to not understanding how to navigate higher ed, right, or not being exposed to, like, internship opportunities in policy spaces and public sector spaces, right? And again, it's not because we, quote-unquote, as Black and brown folks and Indigenous people of color are not interested, right? It's because there's a lot of gatekeeping. So I was like, okay, well, I'm going to create something, YASPA, <laughs> right, um, for us to reclaim academic career in civic spaces um, to make sure we do have access and we are retained and we are paid to be in this space. And so in playing the game, if you will, <laughs> I was like, I'm going to get a master's degree so I can build curriculum. Um, and I got a Ph.D. because, one, I do love to teach. I love theory um, and bringing that into practice. And I also did want to make sure and demonstrate, like, yes, Black women can do this. We do do this. We've been doing this, <laughs> right? Um, so that was a huge part of it for me as well. And furthermore, back to playing the game, unfortunately and unfortunately, in my sector, once I became a PhD, even though I started YASPA at 25, um, all of a sudden I'm deemed credible, right? Like, oh, she knows what she's doing now, right? She has a PhD. She's Dr. Mackey. Whereas when I had a bachelor's degree starting YASPA at 25, it was like, oh, it's a pet project of hers, right? It's a program, Right. And so I'm naming that tension. Right. Because it's racialized. Right. And I shouldn't have had to get in debt and get a Ph.D. to be deemed credible. Right. To do what I do. But I think it's important to name that I didn't grow up necessarily wanting a Ph.D. I was definitely in part playing the game. Yeah, I think you do really rewarding work. And it's um, so influential to be a black woman in education that's going to change many things for children growing up now. And I think that with foundations like yours, that can definitely change the outcome and um, increase those people um, at, at these big universities. Xavier and Mia, for our listeners out there that might be seniors in high school or about to go into this whole college process, what advice would you give them moving forward um, my biggest piece of advice would be to not shrink yourself. You're going to be going into an environment where people are going to be very different from you and you're going to feel isolated and you're going to feel all you want is to reach over and be part of their sphere. But I would urge you to keep your identity close to you and don't shrink for anyone who wants you to conform to be viewable, passable, and digestible. You don't need to be digestible. You're your own person, and you should wear that on your sleeve, and you should not change for the people you're going to meet in college. On that note, wherever you're going to end up going, you are going to face trials and tribulations. Um, and I think my biggest piece of advice would be to know who your support system is. 
Um, for me, like Dr. Mackey said, like that was my family. My mom and my dad just got me through the toughest of times. And when you go through higher education, it'll be the good, the bad, and the worst. <laughs> and no, that's just the reality of the situation. But as long as you have like a good support system and you know who you can rely on when you just you're so beaten by the the things that are going on around you, that can really help get you through the tough times. And I think that's something that a lot of people overlook. Um, once again, yeah. Um, Dr. Mackey, what advice do you have for adults who are supporting young people in the college application process? Because a lot of it starts, this inequality starts from just from high school, from middle school. That's kind of where it can stem for children and where they feel like they don't belong in these universities. How can we change that um, and have adults support students going through that and, you know, applying for college? Yeah, so... Um, I tell folks this a lot still, um, who even, for instance, they try to tap YASPA um, because they want to diversify their space, <laughs> right? And I'm like, mm, but your space ain't ready, right? Um, so that's what adults need to do. Like, they need to do what I call the soil work, right, and the soul work of ensuring that their culture and their ethos and their, like, values, right, honor who they're supposedly trying to get into this space, which tends to be black, brown, indigenous people of color. Like, we're not here for decoration, right? So go ahead, get it together, right? Do your hard conversations that y'all need to have in village, right? Because that's not my village work. It's not our baby's village work, <laughs> right? Um, and make sure that you're ready and that you're able to be willing to unlearn, right? Um, because we're all socialized into whiteness, right? Um, make sure that you're willing to heal, you're willing to build, but you're also willing to do your homework on the, the diverse array of options, quite frankly, too. Um, like there's HBCUs, there are um, Hispanic-serving institutions. I don't use the word Hispanic, by the way, but that's just what they're called <laughs> um, legally, so to speak. But even these institutions, right, including, yes, even like PWIs, like y'all were talking about inclusive excellence, the buzzword, right? Really like unraveling what that truly supposedly means for the bodies and minds and souls of Black, Brown, Indigenous people and young people that they're trying to get into the space. Because again, it's one thing to try and attract us into the space as young people. But again, if you don't have the representation, right, again, I'm at the highest level, right? And straight up, um, when you're trying to get a professor gig, right, and you demonstrate, I'm going to bring my full self, right? I'm not going to shrink like you were saying, Mia. And it's like, mm, but we're not sure about that. So, like, are y'all really committed or are you just playing a game and you just want us there for decoration? Like, so that's what I would be pushing on folks on, the adults. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, how can we work together across generations creating a more inclusive environment in higher education? I like to say in our leadership program, me and Xavier have both raised so many critiques and criticisms of their motto being inclusive excellence when really there's no diversity in their program and their program is marketed and taught to what is essentially a white audience. And something that has helped us create change in this space is our professors, not all of them, but some of them have realized that for us to help make the change, they need to be a collaborator. So instead of them changing everything, they not only make the space for us to air our complaints without judgment, they give us 
the tools for us to collaborate as the college students to change our program for the better, to be more inclusive and more thoughtful when it comes to the diverse members of their cohort. Yeah, I will say um, as an adult, I I think it's really important um, when I echo what's been said about collaboration, what it really means to collaborate, right? So not tokenizing youth, right? Also really allowing for that decision-making to happen, Um, but being a guide, being willing to also engage in shared vulnerability. I think that's really important as well. Um, Oftentimes we as adults will expect youth to just like share of themselves, right? In creating quote unquote a space, but yet not willing to share of ourselves. So I think it's extremely important that adults do that um, in higher ed spaces as well and talk about the challenges and talk about areas of growth and areas of um, learning, but also unlearning and healing that's happening as well because we never arrive in doing this work. Um, Thank you all so much for sharing and being so open with all of us here today. Um, We really appreciate it, and we hope our listeners are able to um, draw connections and shared experiences and other people can learn and grow from this. So thank you all so much for being here today. Thank you so much for listening to our conversation with Mia Payne, Xavier Ada and Dr. Mackey. Um, And of course, thank you so much to our guest host, Haley Mraz. If you're interested in learning more about our guests, you can find more on the CYL website. Today's episode of Generation Collaboration was engineered by Devante Parker and edited by David Layden. Our theme song, Find It, was recorded at Youth on Record by Esme Patterson and members of the Youth on Record community. Generation Collaboration is produced by David Layden and Lauren Steve Pack. Generation Collaboration is a co-production of Colorado Young Leaders and Youth on Record. Learn more about Colorado Young Leaders at coloradoyoungleaders.org or on Instagram and TikTok at coyoungleaders. You can learn more about Youth on Record and their programs at youthonrecord.org and on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Youth on Record. Thank you again for listening to Generation Collaboration. Make sure to subscribe and follow us on social media. You can listen to this podcast on the Colorado Young Leaders website, Spotify, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Sanakshi. And I'm Brayden. And we'll see you next time on Generation Collaboration.